Welcome to Shiro's Journey, a podcast for Shiro's and the people who love them. Episode 3, Refusal to the Call. I'm Pamela Prather, and for over 20 years, I've been empowering actors, executives, and curious humans with tools to unlock their voices and tell their stories. Along the way, I found that for me, voice is about more than just how I speak. It's a spiritual journey. It's about connecting my inner voice to the outer world. It's about breath, resonance, and deep listening. It's how I show up every day as a coach, a mom, a friend, a sister, a poetic soul, and a passionate human. The structure of Shiro's Journey podcast is loosely based on the path outlined by Joseph Campbell in his book, The Hero's Journey, but it's from a woman's perspective. And in each episode, I talk with awesome Shiro's as they answer the call to adventure, battle the dragons, and ultimately win. Plus, there is a segment called Me and the Kid, a chat with my 11-year-old son that allows us to experience the world through the open eyes and candid voice of my kiddo. I hope you'll find inspiration, fuel, and even a little laughter as you imagine how you can amplify your own journey in the world. Hello, friends, and welcome to our new listeners from Sweden, England, Ireland, Italy, and Indonesia. I am so happy you've joined me today to experience stage three of the Shiro's journey, the refusal of the call. Now, this is the part of the journey where the Shiro has received that call to do something out of her comfort zone, to exceed her own expectations of herself. And instead of answering that call, well, she digs her feet in and says, no way, I can't do this. I'm not capable. Now, these can be big moments in life or seemingly little moments in life. And sometimes it's getting through those little moments that really feeds other parts of our lives. So if you know me, you know I'm chitty chatty and I love to share stories. And so I have a little story about my own refusal to call. Recently, I was up in Colorado and working on a book that I'm writing. I was all by myself at a rather remote cabin, and I was tasked to open the cabin up when I got there, which means I had to turn the water well pump on and turn on the gas and flip switches and all this stuff. And I've always had somebody else with me, like my sister or my dad, but this time I was alone in this off-the-grid, self-imposed writer's retreat, creating the life I dream of living, powerful woman in the woods, except not so fast. I couldn't get the pilot light lit on the water heater. And now basically that meant in my mind, oh my gosh, I don't dare try to fix this. I'm going to blow up the cabin. I'm stuck with cold water for a week until my dad rescues me. But there was a teeny, tiny little voice that said, maybe you can fix it. So I made a video of the problem to show my sister and my brother-in-law, and I drove half an hour into town to grab internet from the library because I'm serious. It was a remote cabin. And anyway, they tell me it's something called the thermocoupler, and I'm like, the thermo what? And I consider myself a relatively handy person, but I am way out of my comfort zone, and I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to fail or blow up the cabin. And I'm, I'm just like, no, I will have cold water. I will take cold showers all week. And mind you, we are talking Colorado, Rocky mountain, cold showers. So we are getting to the end of the week 
and I am digging in, refusing the call big time. (laughs) My dad was to arrive the next day with my mom and Harrison. And that little voice inside me, that courageous Shiro part of me, started getting a bit louder. So I go into town again. I watch a YouTube video on how to install a thermocoupler. I hit the hardware store and a really nice Ace hardware guy boosts my confidence, thank you, (laughs) saying he's sure I can do it. So I haul my new thermocoupler back to the cabin and I took a deep breath and I said, oh my God, okay, this is so scary, this is so scary, I'm so afraid I'm gonna fail. But I turned off the gas, I took off the old thermocoupler, I installed the new one, it was kinda easy peasy, and I turned the gas back on Push the button to turn the pilot light on, all the time thinking, I am going to blow this darn cabin up. But I flick the lighter, and the pilot light lights, and the water got hot. And I swear, I was dancing like a rock cat. I was laughing and whooping, and I was so proud of myself. And this little challenge really served as a metaphor for every time in my life that I've stopped myself. I've refused the call, and I let fear win. (laughs) So I would love to hear your stories. Like, when did you stop yourself and then move through that fear? Connect with me on IG at Shiro's Journey and hashtag Shiro Shoutout to share your story and inspire others. Now, I am really excited to introduce this episode's Shiro, and I hope you find her as inspiring as I do. Dr. Ekaterina Valeva Barrington holds an MA and a PhD in linguistics and literature from St. Petersburg State University and an MA in voice studies from the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. In addition to this classical Western education, she studied and practiced traditional Tibetan medicine with some of the most famous Tibetan doctors teaching in the West for over 10 years. And now she combines her knowledge of linguistics and phonetics and Tibetan medical and contemplative practices into a rich curriculum for vocal and emotional health. In this episode, Ekaterina shares with us her own refusal to the call that came as a teenager when she felt called to a very deep Tibetan practice that's known as fova, which involves dying while you are conscious. It's a practice that anyone can undertake with guidance, and it has been said that if you study the foa, then at the time when death is approaching, you'll have no despair and you'll feel cheerful and confident. It actually took some time for Ekaterina to answer the call after her initial refusal, and she reveals to us the deep healing power of ultimately listening to your inner voices to fully live your life. Ekaterina's journey is so inspiring, and there will be links and additional information in the show notes on how you can learn more about some of the concepts that Ekaterina shares and connect with her and get on her mailing list. But for now, take us on your walk, your run, or in your car, or just find a quiet place to chill and enjoy my interview with Dr. Ekaterina Baleva Farrington. Here we are halfway around the world from each other, sort of. I'm in the middle of the United States and you're over in London. And we met a while ago, right? Yeah, two years ago now. 
feels like I've known you longer somehow. Yeah. I just remember I felt a real connection to you the very first time we met, like something sort of deep and um, unexplainable. And so when I came to this portion, the refusal of the call, you know, that moment when the Shiro digs in her feet and she's like, I feel the summons, I feel the call to adventure. And oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do it. This feels risky. This feels scary. It kind of makes you want to pause, right? And so somehow I felt I've got to reach out and uh, find out a little bit more about your amazing adventure thus far as a PhD in linguistics uh, from St. Petersburg, right? Uh, Also this uh, MA in voice studies from the Royal Central School, which is a big deal uh, for people who are voice trainers, right? (laughs) And then then this Tibetan medicine. So here's this very interesting woman (laughs) Uh, and also a mother, you know, Shiro mother. And I, I just like thought you would touch many women with your stories. So I'm not sure where we're going to go with this today, but I wanted to sort of open it up with your thoughts when when I shared with you some, some of my thoughts around the refusal of the call and what came up for you. First of all, thank you for inviting and thank you for reconnecting with me because uh, what you said about our connection is so true from my side as well. I cannot explain how it happened, but it happened from the very first click. This connection just went on, boom. And even though we don't communicate very much on the daily basis, you are right in my heart and in my thoughts. I remember everything you said, everything you did on that conference of Vasta, and it it leaves. It leaves right inside, and it gives me a lot of inspiration, I must tell you. Thank you. Yes, when you invited me to do this interview with you, it was actually a fountain of inspiration. (laughs) So it is, uh, I'm so pleased and honored and happy. (laughs) Yes, I had a very strong feeling while reading through your ideas that it, it would be not easy to choose one topic because everything in my life is interconnected and leads from one step to another. And in fact, it began with uh, this pause. When I was a young girl, in the beginning, it was connected to Tibetan uh, Buddhism and Tibetan culture. Uh, And uh, I was very young. I was probably nine when I was uh, connected to Tibetan Buddhism teachers. And I was practicing without much understanding, but it was a lot of fun. And when I reached 16 years old, I was just about to go out there and uh, do a very, very strong uh, practice, which is called, uh, in Tibetan, called pova, but it's translated as a dying in consciousness. Dying in consciousness. So you're like, actually, mm. when you When you die, you know what is going on and you can control the process. And I was 16 and my non-Buddhist parents, they overreacted and they actually didn't let me go. (laughs) And in fact, they did. They said, okay, you can go. But they were freaking out that that I will be returned to them in a coffin. That they thought that if it's called like that, that what we are going to practice is to die. And then who wins, wins, and who doesn't (laughs) comes back in the coffin. (laughs) Wow. They scared me with their thoughts. And uh, there are some other parallel things happening, which really scared me against Buddhism. 
And I, I paused for 12 years, <laughs> imagine. <laughs> On those 12 years, I went to St. Petersburg University and I did my master's degree and then PhD and I got a lot of achievement. And simultaneously, I went to a complete, as we say, purification cycle of karma <laughs> with so much suffering <laughs> simultaneously, really. Uh, it was so much suffering that I didn't notice that I achieved anything, even though my achievements were very high and quite internationally high because I also went to uh, went abroad and participated in international conferences. And I was so young and still was, I felt like I, I'm a little girl, you know, and I, I did not notice that that was, that was something. It's interesting when you're in the middle of the journey and one's own judgments and fears and uh, you know, inability to have that vision, yeah. three-dimensional vision sort of just makes you feel smaller. Exactly, right? exactly. And then what happened that that part of negative side of my life, the suffering which I was uh, exposed to, brought me to the point when I felt I will die. If not this way, then that way. If not that way, then the other way. And in fact, I was actually losing my life drop by, by drop. Finally, um, I was ill. In what way you, you, uh, you had a, it manifested in physical illness? It was psychosomatic, but it manifested in a very strong physical illness. And uh, it was uh, just bronchitis with a lot of complications. And uh, I had, uh, I stayed in hospital two times over five or six months of being ill. It's fascinating because my mind goes to, wow, to this refusal to the call that you felt so deeply that's right. that it paralyzed you and Absolutely. even cut your voice off. Yes, that's right. Because you notice that I cut my <laughs> Yes, I was surprised when it happened because there was no signs for me to lose my voice. I am healthy. It's amazing, isn't it? The power of these journeys that if we can become more conscious and tap into them. So then what happened with the illness? So then, uh, then um, uh, during my second stay in the hospital, I was processing my life because I was a bit, I, I was given space from the source of my sufferings. Um, and I realized that I need to change my life and I need to change it now because next step I will die. Because the death I felt actually so strongly. Now I learned about myself that I belong to this 20% uh, of, of uh, population who have a temperament which is called uh, highly sensitive people. So yes. I'm raising my hand. I'm so happy to meet another HSP as Elaine Aaron calls us. So it is wonderful to connect. I mean, awareness, right? Is such power, isn't it? Yeah. I wish I, I knew earlier. I agree. <laughs> you know, I felt actually the touch of death on my skin. I really felt it. And I understood if I don't change my life now, that very week, I probably will die of accident even, not even of illness, but something could happen. I could be killed. Anything could have happened, but I was completely certain. And then I, I did, I did it just the very week. And immediately on the same, same moment, I reconnected with the Tibetan Buddhism and, and simultaneously with Tibetan medicine. Um, and only Tibetan medicine actually had the power to heal me from that 
ongoing illness of bronchitis and other many complications. I don't want to go on about that. It's not interesting. Um, and also, I was so disturbed psychologically that also, again, only Tibetan medicine gave me power to overcome. And then I became a practitioner. With Tibetan medicine, is also quite funny thing because, again, I refused. I decided I will be a patient. That's fine with me. But I, I don't want to learn Tibetan language and I don't want to do anything with Tibetan medicine by myself. Then I met a second Tibetan doctor, the one from Tibet, who touched my hand and, uh, and uh, through the pulse, asked me questions and gave me diagnosis of uh, everything which actually matched. And he completely blown my mind away by asking, how often do you have depressing thoughts? And I thought, how come you can read my thoughts through my arm? Right. <laughs> And I was, I was sold <laughs> because uh, I had a new partner by that time who actually pulled me out of that swamp and uh, helped me. He was he still luckily alive and, and one of the best Tibetan doctors in Russia. Uh, so he asked me, you need to learn Tibetan language. You will help me to write and read and all these things. I said, no, I'm, I'm so sick of languages. I already learned five in university. I, I want to break. Refusal to call again. Refusal to call. I'm not going to learn Tibetan language. I'm not going to. Believe me or not, <laughs> a few months later, I was learning ardently. I was learning Tibetan language and I was having uh, insights right in my body, through my channels. When I write letters of Tibetan language or when I look at them, what is the source of contact, whether hand or eyes, I could feel the stream of light going through my channels. It's unbelievable. I see you believe me. I'm so grateful because if I tell, tell to people, they will say, okay, <laughs> fantasies. But I actually felt it very physically, see? So uh, then I started to learn Tibetan medicine and, and also it was very interesting way. Uh, I went to just to listen. Okay, I will go just to listen. Um, and it was a retreat. And I remember my mom was yelling at me at the phone and saying, please don't go. If I tell you, don't go, you go only over my dead body, I know you will go. So I'm, I'm not telling you that I don't want to die. So please, I just ask you, don't go. You will perish. You will lose everything. This is the bunch of losers. I don't want you to go. Please, please go do career. Because by that time, I actually left university. Because you were a PhD, so you were a professor, right, in the university at that point, right, in linguistics. That's right. I was uh, teaching French. I was teaching everything which is related to French language, including pronunciation, which I was really good at. And everything was smooth and nice until the moment I realized that uh, through this life crisis, I lost the touch with uh, mundane things. So what I was uh, passionately learning in uh, languages, and in fact, everything which is, was related to French was just a context, because what was inspiring me is to learn um, sort of absolute truth through the philosophy of language, through the history of language, through the literature, how the language manifests in, in uh, literature. So it's almost like, and um, forgive me for interrupting you, but it almost feels to me as though language became a conduit for accepting that call yes. and for 
for living in your deepest truth. Yes, that's right. And the, and the one of the ring bells for me was the um, works of Stéphane Mallarmé. One of his last works, which he spoke about a lot, but he did not make it because he passed away, is called The Book. So he was in search of absolute truth. And he was writing it in capitals. So he was trying to create a piece of literature, a book, which would connect uh, the reader to the absolute truth through the genius of the uh, of the author, and actually with the author removed. So his concept of the book was just to blank have blank pages. So then, when you see the blank pages, you can potentially discover this truth through your own self. So basically it's like a mirror to your own self and universe and universe in you. He did not finish that work, uh, but uh, for me it was a big thing and then it, it became completely page turned over because I understood that you cannot find absolute truth through relative things, even through words, even through language. Language is a huge instrument, but it's not enough. And then I left university. I came to the last meeting of staff with my backpack, going to the train, going to retreat, where I actually did that practice of dying in uh, awareness, the one which I missed 12 years before. So 12 years. Now, this is beautiful because this is such a, an incredible example right. of what it's like to refuse the call and then to, you know, all of the challenges that hit you and hit you, including illness, physical illness, yes. until you had to answer it. That's absolutely right. It matches. In part two of our interview, Ekaterina talks about how you can move through your own fears and live in your power on your journey. And when you notice that refusal to the call and actually listen to the wise voices within and answer, there is an unfolding that naturally happens. So now I'm curious, you know, because there's, as you said, there's many, many times when uh, in our journeys, right, where we recognize uh, that there is a call to adventure. And then we are like, I don't know if I can do this. I, I'm not sure I can manage. Uh, but you, you know, you've answered a number of these calls. And of course, as you just mentioned, you answered that call to, uh, your, from your 16 year old self, 12 years later to go and die consciously to come back to live your purpose, right? To find and live your purpose. So what helped you in this hesitation and the scariness to actually start? In that moment, what helped is, uh, is understanding that either I do or not. I bumped into the right person in the right moment. And this person reintroduced me to the teaching. But before that, I realized that I have to finish with that part of life which was causing me suffering, unnecessary suffering. After I took the decision that I finish with that right now, then the right person manifested in the right moment, and then I went on. And uh, then uh, when I met my first teacher who I followed when I was a, a, a child, uh, I felt like I am home. I had no questions whatsoever. I realized that this 
thing. This teaching can answer all of my questions, existential questions I had at that moment, which no language, no philosophy, no literature could answer. And then after that, I met my root teacher, and then I felt like I am I found my bedroom in my home. <laughs> you know, so I don't need to seek anything else I found. I only need to practice, I only need to work on that, and I don't need to worry about a thing. And then Tibetan medicine went along simultaneously because this is the first thing which pulled me out of the swamp and healed. And then uh, I started to learn also very spontaneously and serendipitously because as I said that I was going to that Tibetan medicine retreat just to listen, just to have a look. And in that very week, I was asked to be the main translator to, of the teacher. And I did not know English well. So I, I didn't know what to do. I could not say no because other people knew English even worse. So <laughs> French was my number one foreign language. So I translated and I became my teacher's translator for years until I finished that uh, academy. And uh, I became a translator of another teacher who uh, was a Tibetan monk. And uh, also I got a lot of wisdom and a lot of tutoring on daily basis. So, yes, exactly. Moving through you and yes. you're giving words to that. Again, language becomes this conduit for self-realization and your, your uh, human journey, right? As you see now how this whole language journey uh, happened to be a center of the puzzle of the of that big picture, you see, because I could learn any language very fast. So I, I spoke English pretty bad, but while translating, I was doing the practice which this same teacher taught me how to do the practice of connecting to the universe. And the translation went so easy. I could do simultaneously for three hours in a row, and I was translating 16 hours a day. But you know what I hear you saying is this this thing that it, it, it's really about each individual tapping into that place of home where you feel it. Maybe it's in mathematics or maybe it's in computer programming or maybe it's in linguistics, right? But there are these different ways that we can tap into that feeling and then you have to choose to finally listen. There's no shortcuts, right? <laughs> yes. Exactly. And also, there is no deviation. You should actually go into that and don't think too much. And then uh, uh, then I started to learn Tibetan medicine and practice Tibetan medicine. And I was just about to launch my career of Tibetan medicine uh, practitioner back in St. Petersburg when I met my husband and I moved to London. And then I had another pause. <laughs> Then I had another pause because uh, in uh, in the West you cannot practice things because you just a practitioner and you have uh, you have to have certificates which are recognized. So I had to start over, and I was thinking what to do. I tried this and that, and we traveled so so much, and uh, it was not easy to set up career again. So what I did is. Uh, to start something new. <laughs> I thought, what am I good at mundanely? What can be helpful for people? I am very good at accents, 
don't mind my English accent. I never made a big effort to actually master it, but I am seriously good at French accent. And I actually, best of all, I am very good to explain people how they should move their articulatory apparatus and all the muscles with all the visualizations. <laughs> so you're very good at helping. I mean, there's that teacher, healer, uh, through the language, through the sound, right? That's right, because I feel people like it was myself. And when I was in university, my students were making progress in French pronunciation faster than anyone else because I could explain them because I was feeling what they are doing and what they're feeling. It's like you could get inside of their articulatory, you know, the mouth, the lips, the tongue, and help them. They they were sometimes scared, some of them. They would say, it feels like you have your eyes in my mouth and my throat. I say, it's possibly. a gift of the highly sensitive person, I think, you know? That's right. Yeah. That's right. So then I thought, uh, I, and then I watched a few American and British movies where the Russian, they were playing Russians. And I thought, oh, they need my help. <laughs> Because I am Russian, native speaker of Russian, and I am really very good at working with pronunciation with other people. Actually, with myself as well. But as it is ballet, like a ballet, but in the mouth, I tell you it is an effort. And this is why I say that, no, in English, I did not do this education of ballet yet, but it is in future because I love it. Uh, But I could explain Russian accent and I could help them to speak. So, But then as a perfectionist, I decided that, no, it's not enough. My PhD certificate (laughs) and my skills and my believing in myself, uh, still I don't know how to teach actors because I'm not from their world. So I started to search on internet, how can I get that missing puzzle? And then I found Royal Central School of Speech and Drama, the voice studies course, master's, master degree. And then I went there. And then I discovered a completely different world. And the accent already again went a little bit aside. <laughs> the world of voice was the missing part in the big picture of my life. Because it unifies the lingu- linguistics, the physiology, health. And by, by then I already I was very interested in psychology because I myself was a highly traumatized person through my life and I was working on post-traumatic stress disorder the first round. So I was very much interested in psychology and I I realized that voice is a big, big instrument to help people to sort out their emotional well-being, to come back to your real self, to your identity, which might be even lost forever it seems, but now you can get it back through your voice, through your breath. And also, uh, you can heal huge, tremendous traumas, emotional traumas, as I did through the voice practice. And then all of this Tibetan uh, Buddhism and Tibetan uh, medicine went in as uh, a unique methodology. And I know it is unique because uh, um, I know that this Yantra Yoga, which I am practicing and I became recently instructor of preliminary practices of Yantra Yoga. This is the yoga of uh, breathing and movement. 
uh, I tell you after having done research on that, that it is a very, very fascinating school of uh, thought and school of body movement that uh, helps opening up voice like nothing else, like nothing else, even though, even if you don't practice voice work at all, and you are not familiar, but you cannot avoid the side effect of Yantra Yoga having your voice sorted out. Same happens with your emotional well-being. Same happens with eating disorders. Same happens with different health uh, problems. Yantra Yoga is, uh, is an amazing, uh, amazing uh, teaching. I would say, and it is ancient, and it was not open to the open public until recently, and only preliminary practices, because it was kept in the very tight circle of uh, practitioners. So, what if I, as a you know somebody listening to this podcast, thought, "Oh, this sounds really interesting. I want to try yantra yoga, or I want to try something to help me really answer, or listen to, or hear." that voice inside of me that is, you know, the powerful voice, the one that really wants me to succeed, you know, not all the saboteurs that are pulling me back from my true calling. Uh, what would I do or how would you help me? Now it is uh, spread out around the world and there are about 400 uh, instructors, certified instructors, certified by uh, my uh, main teacher, Chogyal Namkai Norbu. Uh, who passed away um, two years ago. So those who became instructors, they are, but we cannot have more. Uh, but uh, they are spread out all around the world, and you only need to type in Yantra Yoga, and then you will find links. And uh, there are online classes. If somebody were to explore Yantra Yoga in more depth, I think what is interesting from my memory of experiencing it with you is that something seemingly simple when done with precision is extremely profound in the results. I think sometimes people feel like, you know, when there's that call to, we'll go to your story, there's that call to the Tibetan medicine, that call to truly answering your voice and choosing to die uh, consciously in order to live more fully. It can feel really complicated. When you come to that point, it becomes so simple. You have no more questions. You're just doing. In fact, everything falls back to places. When you study voice, you understand all the physiology you did not know. But you read about it and you feel it in your body and it makes complete sense because you have the knowledge of how things work beyond life. Ekaterina faced her own fears to find the connection of her passions and her voice and journey are just so inspiring. You can learn more about Dr. Ekaterina Valeva Farrington's private coaching and workshops at betweenheadandheart.co.uk or you can get in touch with her at ekaterina at betweenheadandheart.co.uk. All those links are in the show notes. Now, coming up, Me and the Kid, where you get my 11-year-old son's perspective on the refusal of the call. 
Shiro's Journey. Shiro's Journey. Me and the kid. The kid. Me and the kid. Yeah. Hello, Harrison. Hi, Mom. Well, we are at episode three of Shiro's Journey, and that is about the refusal to call. That's cool. Um, so what exactly is the refusal to call? Oh, that's a good question. The refusal to call is really about that time when you know you really ought to do something or something is like a great opportunity comes to you and or even something kind of scary. Cool. And you're just like, oh my gosh, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Have you ever felt that feeling when there's like a big thing that you need to do or you feel like you should do or you really want to do and you're like, I can't do it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I, I when I started biking, I was mm. so afraid of biking because yeah. I had an injury when I was four um, when I fell off my bike and I was so scared to do it. But somehow I found the grit or the, the power in me to go and do it. And I remember you were talking about that last time when we talked about Sisu and that grit and that power. Is there ever a time that you just stopped and you were like, no, I'm not going to do this? I mean, not really, but there's a mm. couple of times where I've just been like, this seems so hard that I need like time to mm. really consider doing it, not just run right in and do it. Like think about my options and see if this this really makes sense to do or if it's just like actually too hard for me to do like some I can I there's no possible way that I can do a college level math test right now but what i I can do is maybe an eighth grade math test i could start maybe thinking about and maybe challenge myself to maybe get something better than like a 70 or something like that and like go set a good goal a little bit harder than you normally would. yeah like something harder than what you normally do but maybe it's like not like absurdly hard Mm. it's like there's no way that uh, like a a kid, a, a kid who plays soccer can play in an adult league. You it's, kind of set yourself yeah. up for failure. That yeah, way, you right? kind of set. You want to set yourself up for um for success, but in a hard way. Like you want to you want to get success, but you want to earn mm-hmm. it, and you want to like you might have hard times, but you want to be eventually. You want to be able to push through and uh, achieve your goal and do well. I love that. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of how Dr. Nick works with you in cello. Because I remember when you were like little guy, you were like four and a half when you started cello. And we're hitting cello season again. You just started back with your your lessons. Mm -hmm. And um, I think about the songs that you looked at and you were like, I can't do that. Like you were like, refusal, refusal to call mom. What got you through? Well, first of all, Dr. Nick just makes things look so much easier than they are. Mm-hmm. And when I see him play piece, I'm like, oh, I can do that. And then a month later, I'm like, oh, my Lord, why did I just say that I can do that? <laughs> and I did. And I eventually get it done. But it's like uh, it's back to the idea where it's like you don't necessarily – go in swinging and you hit a home run on the first try you might have a work a good count it's a 2-2 pitch 
and then you eventually maybe get a base hit. You like you get on base. You might not do what you want to do fully. You might not like overachieve, but what you can do is you want to at least do well. Mm-hmm. And do well in a way that you're like gaining some experience or mm-hmm. gaining and and learn, mm-hmm. you know. Unlike just doing the same thing you've done. That's why all those pieces, you have to learn all the techniques, all the about. techniques yeah. mm-hmm. before you achieve, um, and you and you go in and you get that piece, um, and you do it correctly. Um, it's like every little success leads to something else in a way, doesn't yeah. it? Totally. Well, I think you're an awesome kid, and I'm glad I'm your mom. Thanks. Thanks for joining me for this episode. Thank you. I love you. I love you, too. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us on Show's Journey Podcast. You'll find extra info and links in the show notes. Also, please make sure to visit us on Cheersjourney.com, where you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you liked our show, we'd really appreciate a positive review on iTunes. And it would be great if you told a friend about us too. Thanks, Harrison. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. We'd love to hear from you. Just hashtag Shiro Shoutout and we'll feature your story on our IG or Facebook page. My own special Shiro Shoutouts go to Ekaterina Valeva Farrington, a Shiro sister I'm privileged to know. To my fearless production assistant and always superstar Shiro, the amazing Emma Bird for her awesome designs and endless positivity. I adore you. To my administrative assistant, Michelle Levine, for keeping me organized. Mike Toda, my podcast producer, for making me sound good. Randy Savage for the fabulous new show sweepers. And the fantastic Tord Funk, who composed the original music for my show. Big love to the awesome Shiros and supporters in my life. You know who you are. And of course, a humongous shout out to all the Shiros in the world and the people who love them. Dig down and move through your resistance and fears. You got this. Keep climbing those mountains and slaying those dragons. See you next time.